the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Pastor Scott Show. 888-528-2557. Hour 2, 888-528-2557. Hope that you got a great weekend. Looks like uh, maybe the rain is over. Maybe the rainy season is over. I was talking with Christy this weekend, and we were wondering, is is the rain we got this year going to be regular, or is it going to be just dry again next year? Somebody was saying, you know, because we just moved here last year from San Diego, and they were saying, oh, you know, it's all wet this year, but next year it's going to be dry as ever. And we thought, well, I understand that. That's the way it's been in Southern California, but maybe not. You know, who knows what's going to happen anyway. I am uh, hopefully, I'm glad, I'm hopefully glad, I'm actually glad that the weather has changed. Hey, there's a lot of stuff going on in the news, and that is what we are doing in our our program. And one of the issues that we want to follow up on is Title 42 ended and lots of things happening at the border, people coming over, of course. And we've tried to deal with that from the context of, how do we have compassion with that? And it is affecting people. It's affecting our big cities. It's affecting New York. Well, Reverend Al, hearing the numbers going down is good news, but it's small comfort to us because the word we're getting is that the majority of these individuals who are crossing, and still high numbers, are coming to New York State. And we already have over 61,000 over 40,000 houses in New York City. That's a huge number. This is Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York. They're bursting at the seams, and Mayor Adams is doing the very best he can in a difficult situation. We have stepped in $1 billion from the state budget I just enacted. We also are giving legal help to people, and now we're in the position of trying to help find places for these individuals. I asked the federal government to give us emergency funding I'm asking for federal installations like military installations to help out. Let us have a large field and operations. We can put up the tents. You're gonna- you know, she says that, and there's a listener of our program who calls in all the time for years and always suggests, well, we need to put people on the military installations. That's his big idea. If you're listening, the governor of New York is listening to you. I just thought that was uh, interesting to me that she's saying, yep, yeah, put, put everybody out there. We got to do something. So they're trying to figure it out. Start seeing people living in tents, not just on the border, but in the streets of New York and across New York State, because we've reached a breaking point. So she is talking about what is happening in New York, and the same thing is happening in big cities across the country. This is the mayor of Denver. We're at the breaking point, particularly with regards to resources in terms of capacity and space, as well as money. We've expended close to $17 million uh, since the end of the year uh, on helping our migrants 
uh, with a little help from our state, uh, the state has certainly leaned in, and they certainly have provided more support than the federal government. Uh, we just received notice, as you may know, last week that you know after spending close to uh, at the time we, re- we we applied for support from the federal government, eleven twelve million dollars, we received nine hundred thousand dollars. That's amazing. So he's talking about this is, by the way, a federal government problem. This is a, this the you know we blame the federal government for a lot of stuff, but honestly, hopefully, something we learned from the COVID is that there's a lot of things that the federal government does or says that really doesn't affect us. Sometimes it's our state government or county government, local city governments that affect a lot. Hopefully, we're paying attention there. But the border issues, immigration, all of it's federal government. It's the Congress and it is the president. And they asked for twelve million dollars for help. They got nine hundred thousand from the federal government. Unfortunately. Municipalities like Denver, as you mentioned, Chicago, D.C., New York, and others are bearing the burden of uh, the responsibility of the federal government. And, uh, and unfortunately, it's, uh, it's stressing our resources locally. I've had to inform my agency leads uh, last week that we may have to face some cuts. We're going to do everything we can to avoid that because we don't believe the people of Denver should have to suffer in terms of their services they receive from the city because the federal government hasn't. You know, you cannot ignore problems. You can't. And, you know, I think sometimes in our own life, we ignore problems and then then the dam bursts, right, of all of the different things that are going to come of it. And I think that is a big story with immigration, which we've been ignoring for years. You know, you have Donald Trump, let's build the wall. But how far did he really get with that? And it was done mostly by executive order, which means the next president can just undo it. That's a whole nother issue. But You know, our presidents are issuing executive orders to get things done rather than move things through Congress. And what that means is that the next president can just undo it just as fast as the previous president did it. Uh, That's that's a lesson, something about how government is supposed to work. In this case, it's the Congress is not involved. And these cities have, for political reasons, called themselves sanctuary cities. Denver's not exactly a sanctuary, but they passed a law saying we're not going to cooperate with the government in 2017 when it comes to immigration laws, which is the same thing, practically speaking, as being sanctuary city. And now the issue is that the cities who are saying that, saying come here, we'll take care of you because we're compassionate, is we don't have the ability to take care of you. And maybe we were just saying that. And the governor, or the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, who I don't always agree with, but I like him for a lot of reasons. You know, he's trying to back away from the sanctuary city policy. This is something he said today in a radio interview. The law of sanctuary city was in place long before I became mayor. I'm following the law. As a law enforcement person, you know, we follow the law. We're now in court now, today, asking the judge to revisit this law to deal with this humanitarian crisis Because even when they decided to put in place that law, no one thought that they would be dealing with a humanitarian crisis of this proportion. No one thought it was real. I think that's what he said, right, is that nobody thought he was for real, that this was for real, that this was actually going to happen. And when we put out, we say, oh, we're a sanctuary city, and Los Angeles is, and California, I think maybe we're a sanctuary state. Nobody thought we were really going to have to put our money where our mouth is, and yet here we are. This is a responsibility that we're going to have to to admit to. Have you ever done something in your life when you made a statement, oh, I'm going to do this or that, and then the opportunity to do this or that happened and you couldn't do it? You had to back out or you just ignored a problem. 
for such a long time in your life that all of a sudden when things, you know, happen, you can't deal with it. I've done that before. I've ignored a problem or just prolonged a problem or put off the problem. And then the problem just gets so big. It gets to be such a hard thing. Happens with governments. It happens with individuals. It's something that we are seeing now. And ultimately, you know, in in this case, you have people getting hurt, people who are selling all of their stuff to come up here or leaving their life behind to come up here, paying off some coyote to come up here. And then they come in here and there's no place to go for a lot of people except for the streets and other things. This is a, a condition of human beings. 888-528-2557. This is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. Uh, Donna in Orange, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Yes, good afternoon, Pastor Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are good, you today? Good. Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm sitting here having a cup of coffee. You know, I, I wanted to make a comment. Um, I thought there was a ray of hope when I heard that troops were being sent to the border, 500 now, and another an additional 950 coming next week uh, or coming soon. And um, they're, they're not allowed to detain anyone. Right. They're not allowed to where are they going to put them? Anyone. I mean, that's part so of the issue here is if we detained everybody, where are they going to go? Exactly. Well, there's, there is no place. There's no place. There right. is no place. See, and that's, but what I'm saying is that yeah. they're not even allowed to stop them from crossing the border. Yeah. They're not allowed to do that. And, you know, it's a joke. It's a joke. Well, and It's it, all the doing of this government. Well, and it's been going on for a long time. Uh, Donna, how do you feel about troops going to the border? I mean, to me, that seems like this is the second time I think we've done that recently. Um, is this... Uh, is this just an escalation? Like, where does it go next? Well, you know, it, it, I wouldn't consider it an, ex, an escal, escal, excuse me, escalation. Um, it, it's it's just a band aid. They're there just to help with paperwork. That's it. That's it. Well, I know and that that's what I, they're there for, but. Uh, you know, the thing is, is it's not solving the problem. It's just it's just costing more and more money uh, exactly. for that. And it's and the thing is, is that it's people. It's people who are ultimately being wronged, abused and all kinds of people, people coming over the border, people who are here, who are, uh, you know, in in New York state. One of the issues today was they kicked out homeless veterans from a hotel to move in uh, uh, people who came across the border into the same hotel. Which, to me, I don't understand the compassion. You're removing one set of homeless people for another, even if you just kept everything the same, right? I mean, that's uh, right. that doesn't make a lot of sense. Thank you, Donna, for your call. 888-528-2557. What this is, is the problem that happens when we don't take care of our issues, when we just put things off. You know, have you ever been in debt? I've been in debt. I'm not now. And I can praise the Lord for that, that I do not have any credit card debt. Other than my mortgage, I have no debt whatsoever, not even cars. And But I'll tell you what, I've been in a terrible situation. And it started with not being in a lot of debt. It started with actually having a couple of thousand dollars and just wasn't making a lot of money, but I wasn't paying it off. And I would do this thing where I would... You know, if I I pay the minimum payment, you send in the $40 or whatever it is, 
And the great thing about the $40 is that it pays off after interest. It would pay off like $18 or something. $22 would go in the dumpster of interest, and then I would pay off an $18. And then uh, back in those days, I would go buy some music for $15, or I would go out to eat and then max out the credit card again. That was kind of my habit. And I wasn't buckling down to pay for it, but I was managing it. And it was, it just became kind of a habit and something to do. But then my student loans came due. And then the car that I had turned out to be a lemon. And all about at the same time, I had massive, massive debt. It was just piling up. I couldn't afford anything. And that two or $3,000 went to $25,000. It's seemingly overnight. And you know, it's what happens in our lives when we do not handle the issues that we know are issues. Now, some of you are scaring you because you have debt. Well, hopefully I'll tell you, $17 trillion of consumer debt I read today in the United States. That's not the national debt. That's consumer debt. You and me, $17 trillion. That's an enormous amount of money. In fact, I'm just doing the math in my head The because the national debt at $42 trillion uh, or $32 trillion is $42 million a day every day since the birth of Christ. And so that on top of the $17 trillion that we owe Visa and MasterCard and other debt, uh, consumer debt, we're talking about, you know, what would the math be with that? 20-something million dollars a day every day since the birth of Christ that would it would take to actually get up to what we owe? See, that's going to catch up eventually. Our stuff catches up. And I think what's happening at the border, I'm hoping what it does is it it causes us to have an actual policy that is humane, a policy that both sides, even though they will argue about certain points, will at least come together and find some resolution. Because I, I think most people could do that. I think most of us would understand how to do it. Um, how does this fit in your life? You know, we think about this and we sort of look at the federal government and they're overspending and not managing these kinds of crises very well and, you know, letting things go for years and years and years. But we do that. And we have a representative government, meaning that they're going to do what we do. So if we're $17 trillion in consumer debt, then we should expect the federal government, our representatives, to be $32 trillion in debt. Does that make sense to you? I think it does. I think our representatives uh, as much as we want to criticize them, and we're right to do that, they are just us. They're they're doing it the way we do it. This has got to change. We have to change this because at the end of the day, people are getting hurt. And it is a snowballing thing where we have mayors of cities saying that the the seams are bursting and this probably has just begun. 888-528-2557. Wendy in Orange County, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. I'm good, Wendy. How are you? Just fine and dandy. <laughs> I kind of wanted to chime in on the conversation regarding the, the crisis at the border. And, you know, I had a question, which is a two-part question. The first part of it is, um, is there any dialogue taking place between the United States and the lower part of America, like Mexico, South America, Central America, are we having any kind of dialogue about the actual crisis that is happening? And is, is anybody talking about working on infrastructure that maybe we could both come together and, and 
work on building an infrastructure where, you know, the lower part of the country can actually take care of its own people and not have them trying to escape a really bad place. Because honestly, Scott, in my own personal view, I don't really think that the United States is responsible for housing people in every other country that are having a hard time. And it ends up being a burden on our country and then our country, you know, somehow it always makes its way to the taxpayer. And, you know, there, there has to be some sort of resolution where everyone is happy, but that, that country that these people are trying to escape, they really need to stand up. And if they're not going to stand up, maybe it's time that, and I'm not suggesting war, but maybe it's time that we kind of, you know, did something about the fact that people are escaping a country that is connected to our country because there's there's so much violence and corruption going on there that they can't have a life. Mm. And, you know, Scott, you talk about, you know, like there are people living in tents when they come over the border, they've maybe sold everything that they own. And I honestly think being in the United States in a tent is probably better than what they were dealing with when they were down south. I think it depends on what they were dealing with down there. And, Wendy, I appreciate your call. I'll answer your question here in just a second. You know, I've been there, and many of you have been there on mission trips. In fact, I think that I think that part of this also, the church uh, should be having a lot of mission trips into particularly Central America and a lot of these countries because there's a lot of help. And actually, a lot of these governments, even though there's corruption and things, they tend to welcome the help because they know it's a problem. They know that they need to help feed people and they need to clothe people. And a lot of the problems get resolved if you can put in a clean water supply. Um, I wouldn't say totally resolved, but I mean, you know, for example, I was a part of a mission in El Salvador and one of the communities that we were part of. uh, I never went to this one personally, but the same ministry I was a part of uh, did this and we supported it financially from our church. They had an issue of 350 some kids children dying every year from waterborne illness in that community, 350. And when you have waterborne illness with kids, it's killing the kids and it's keeping lots of adults ill. That makes it very hard to make a living. It makes it hard to farm. It makes it hard to build. It makes it hard to do any of the things that a society, the people in a society have to do. And so the good thing about the water projects when they get done in this particular community, it took seven years to get it done, but they went from 350 to one. It almost completely eliminated waterborne illness among the kids. And they started to build and they started to build infrastructure and they started to build farms and people started to make a living. And what happens with that, and this is something that I've found, and I know that many of you listening who are from a lot of these countries around the world, you love your country. You don't hate your country, you love your country. You would have rather you didn't have to leave or feel like you had to leave. You love your country. And everybody who I've dealt with, I think, loves their country. And most people, when they're given the the hope and the opportunity to stay and to build a life, they're happy to do that. And, you know, I, I would be careful about something I've learned just personally, and I know many of you have too with mission opportunities, is that, yes, in the United States, we have an infrastructure that works and you we have – you know, housing and, you know, in spite of all of our difficulties, there's a lot of things that we've managed to work to make happen. But something that you notice if you really spend a lot of time is, is that we're not really that far apart. 
it's it's hard to explain, but I'll tell you that whenever I've come back, I've I've grieved in a lot of different ways some of the things that we take for granted. Uh, I remember coming back from El Salvador the first time, and I couldn't get past the fact that I had carpet. And everybody I'd visited had, if they had a floor at all that was concrete, there was certainly no carpet or, you know, sometimes tile. There were some places. But some people just had dirt floors. They didn't even have walls. And you think about that. But then you think about, you know, it's not that complicated to get that done. But you got to deal with illness, and you have to deal with some hope and some opportunity. There's a lot that can be added, and to your point, Wendy, about our government, our government has some talks now and then, but I do think it needs to be stringent. I don't, I don't particularly like the idea of war uh, at all, but I, I do think that maybe there's some police actions that, with cooperation with those countries, maybe there's an answer for dealing with the cartels and some other things. There was an article, an opinion piece in the LA Times today, talking about the addiction problem that we have in our country, and we you know, we do contribute to this entire problem, not just with our politics, but also with our addictions and with our attitudes about that. I'm not sure that I agree with everybody in that article. I'm going to bring on a guest maybe later this week to talk about that. But there is a lot of responsibility, I think, that we have by not solving the problem. That was what I was getting to at the top of the hour, is that when we just put it off, or when we, in this case, we sort of politicize it you know, left and right. But at the end of the day, over the decades, we've really made no progress. Eventually, the dam is going to burst. And this might just be the beginning of it. All right, I got to take a break. David, I see your call. Get that when we come back. This is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. I'll be back as the Monday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Law of Sanctuary City was in place long before I became mayor. I'm following the law as a... That is the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, distancing himself from the, the sanctuary city policy because of what's happening with all of the people coming into his city. And I don't blame him. But here is the idea is what is the solution? Because the answers are not coming. You know, it, whatever we're going to say as far as what we would do, and I think, I think a lot of us would actually agree left and right. I think we would agree on what should be done. But the, the problem is much bigger than even just our border. And we have waited so long, it takes some time. But I, I do think there's there's some places that we're not looking, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. I want to get to your calls, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. David, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. How are you doing today, David? I am doing well, Pastor Scott. Um, <clears throat> two, uh, just a few comments. Number one, Congress instead of dealing with the immigration problem, is still looking into Hunter Biden, uh, number one, impeaching Mayorkas, number two, uh, and God knows what else. I mean, seriously, they're not doing anything. Is anybody so, doing anything know, for, for really for a couple of decades? But it's, well, no, no, I agree. I think that's a problem. It's a federal problem. I think actually, truthfully, we could probably absorb a lot of immigrants if it was done in an orderly, thoughtful fashion. 
we can't negotiate with a lot of countries where they're coming from because we don't even have diplomatic relationship with uh, with uh, Venezuela where a lot are coming from and mm-hmm. with Cuba. So this is something that the federal government just hasn't been dealing with. That's right. Secondly, you know, secondly, I thought that was a very thoughtful article in the L.A. Times today. Uh, the one about because, uh, yeah, the one about the addiction uh, stuff. I make addiction. yeah, I yeah. may cover that more later this week. But go ahead. Well, that, that was a good article because the emphasis was on we got have to solve the problem of addiction. Yeah, of people that want the drug. Yeah, you know, uh, the policy with crack cocaine of the heavy, uh, you know, heavy sentences for um, the distributors and the sellers and the users was a dismal failure. So we have to address drug addiction. I don't think Congress is doing anything but blaming it on immigration. So, you know, I think we have a problem with a very ineffective federal government, Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. I think that we should be pressuring. We And I, I, I've said this before. I honestly think we need to go to term limits. I think these people are just spending time to get elected. They're not really solving our problems in any way. I mean, I think we have a very ineffective, ineffectual federal government. And, and you know, even look at the other problem, the debt ceiling. I mean, come on. What business works like this? What business could possibly <laughs> well, not have a policy for paying, for paying its debts right. and figuring out how not to spend as much money? And it's another I mean, problem on, that no, one way or the other, it's going to, cre- it's going to blow up eventually. It has to, but it, they don't want to solve it. They yeah. don't want to. McCarthy doesn't want to deal with Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid. You know, they you, just don't want to deal with it. So they're finding other ways to say they can save money, which are ridiculous. Yeah. You know, cutting waste in the federal government, uh, you know, uh, some stuff around the edges. But they're not facing the problem of either we're going to have to raise taxes. Massively. Back these benefits. Yeah, it's well, a. It's a significant problem. But we, yes, but it's a significant problem, and it has to be faced. But, you know, the government is just not facing any of these problems. And, and I think, unfortunately, respect, you're, I agree with you when you say, you know, if sensible people sat down and discussed the problems, we could probably all come up with a solution. But for some reason, this is eluding our government. Yeah, you're right, David. And, and you know, the funny thing about term limits, I used to be – uh, opposed to term limits personally. My idea was, well, the term limits the ballot box and people need to vote. And, and I still think that, except that now I'm I'm just at this point where, you know, maybe maybe we do just have to limit people to two terms and they go home. But uh, there's Absolutely. a there's a downside Absolutely. to that. Or maybe it's just the same philosophy. We just keep electing with a different face. And uh, but there's a leadership problem. Thank you, David, for your call. Appreciate uh, that. And you listen to the Pastor Scott show. You know, it is a leadership thing. And I think for all of us, whatever you know, party you're in, you know, whatever you're at left or right, I do think we can we have to deal with it. But there's going to be pain. The debt ceiling issue, you know, the debt ceiling thing will go away. I think they're not going to default the country. I don't think anybody's going to do that. But and we've been having the same argument every couple of years for what a long time now. Um, but the debt is a problem and it is going to burst eventually. It is, and it's going to be painful. That's the thing is that you got to either, I think you'll probably see yourself doing both raising taxes or massive cuts in the budget that everybody's going to feel and everybody doesn't want to do that. This is where the term limit thing might work is people don't want to do that because they don't think they're going to get reelected if they do. Right. I mean, isn't that the reason this is the pastor Scott show. The number is 888-528-2557. You know, isn't that ultimately? I mean, I'm asking you. 
Is that the reason we can't get things done? Because if, we, if we're going to solve the national debt crisis, if we're going to solve immigration, or if we're going to do something that people agree with, you know, when, with pick your issue. Hard, hard decisions have to get made, and a lot of voters aren't going to like it and probably vote for the other side next time around or the next person. I'm going to lose my job. That's what people are going to say. It's probably right because it's a lot easier to vote when somebody says, I'm going to give, 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 and life's going to be wonderful if you elect me. Uh, it's a lot harder to vote for somebody who says, yeah, you're going to feel the tax increases or the cuts in services and all of that if you elect me. I bet it would be easier, though, for leaders to lead if they just went in, did their time for a term or two, and went home. That's kind of where they were, where my thinking is is moving. I don't like it, though, because the ballot box is made for that, right? But not enough of us vote. You know, even in an age where, and I got problems with the mail ballots, but nobody in California has an excuse, really, to not vote. It's mailed to you, you know, and uh, send it in, you know. But vote, vote seriously, and actually take that time to send it in. All right, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. This is the Pastor Scott Show. I read an article that uh, it kind of made me smile. How old is your oldest pet? Total change of subject here, but to lighten it up a little bit, you know, how long, I think I had a poodle that was when I was a young child, the first dog I remember. I guess we had another one that I don't remember, but... This dog was a poodle, lived to be about 15, completely blind. And it got kind of sad at the end because she tried to jump on the bed and just crash into the side of it because she couldn't see. But lived to be 15. And uh, that's pretty good. What is the oldest living dog that you can think of that you knew? Any idea how long that uh, a dog lived? There is a dog who lived to be 31 years old. 31. The world's oldest dog, Bobby, turned 31. Uh, which is 217 in dog years. I mean, that's like the Methuselah of dogs, this dog, 31. And take a, there's a picture. It's in Portugal, so you can't go visit unless you're going to travel over there. 31 years old. And Guinness Book of World Record identified this dog as the world's oldest canine ever recorded. That's a long time. Do you have a dog? I've got a dog. And we, we got a puppy for our kids. We named him Winston about a year ago. And uh, not any particular reason he's named Winston, like not after any historical figures, although I like the idea of, you know, giving him like a top hat and a cigar and teaching him to do the victory sign or something. But, uh, you know, and to talk about it, if I could get him to say that, then I would take him on the road. Winston would win. Anyway, greatest gift, I think, ever for our kids. My son, who's turning 14 tomorrow, he would tell you that greatest gift we ever got. And I love that because sometimes I think I worry, you know, maybe the greatest gift I ever got him was the uh, Nintendo Switch or some, uh, you know, video game or some kind of, uh, you know, toy of of some kind that probably doesn't have any positive value, really. Uh, He loves his dog. And I love the fact that probably short of disease or accidents, Winston's going to live, you know, 12 years, 13 years, probably he'll be in a James will be an adult. Uh, before uh, Winston sees his demise. And maybe, maybe, maybe Winston will live to be 32 and become the oldest living dog. That would be amazing. And then James would be like 40 years old before uh, he has to suffer the, the terribleness of losing a pet, which I don't like at all. 888-528-2557. Penny in Canoga Park. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. 
Hi, Pastor Scott. I just wanted to tell you that my Smokey, an Akita Chow Samoyed mix, died at 24 years old. Recently. Wow, 24. I'm sorry to hear that, yeah. but that's amazing. Now, how and they called her when I take her to the vet, they called her the gentle giant. I'll bet. I'll bet. Now, was she healthy? I mean, what was her condition in those last few oh, years? She got, she got cancer. She got a big, huge t- tumor on her little, um, her, her female parts. Mm-hmm. And then I had surgery. They took it off and everything. And then it started going back within days. Yeah. Yeah. But that happened when she was 23 or 24. 24 yeah. 24 years old. And she was the most beautiful dog. I mean, she was absolutely gorgeous. People would just say, oh, my gosh, do you want to sell that dog? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's 160. My, my animals live a long, a long time because they get they get taken be- better care of than I, I am. I take care of them like they're my children. Yeah. You know, you got to take care of your, your pets. And that's that's 168 in dog years. So yeah. I don't know if you thought of it that way, but uh, uh, which <laughs> makes no sense. The whole dog, it makes zero sense. Right. But uh, that's what, what we say. Penny, well, uh, I've got two dogs now, Pomeranians, that can live to be. Um, my fiance died, and I got custody of them, and they're they can live to be thirty years old. And now they're nine years old. I'm going. Oh my God! I hope I outlive them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, Penny. Thank you for your call. Uh, appreciate okay. that. We love our pets. If you're if you're a pet lover, uh, if you really are, you know it's a it's a wonderful thing. I think. Uh, it's a great thing having a dog, although there are parts of it that I'm not so great, you know, not so happy with. Things that get chewed up and things, that, you know, the barking at, at weird things. And uh, we had a dog one time that uh, wouldn't even bark if somebody broke into the house. We locked ourselves out of the condo, first condo that we lived in, and uh, the locksmith had to come and drill through the door. Dog didn't even bark. Just greeted everybody with that, oh, you know. She was a great dog, though. All right. When we come back, uh, a little story of how a person can actually change their mind about something important. I think it's a positive story. We'll get to that as soon as the Monday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. 888-528-2557. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. 888-528-2557. Before the break, I said uh, I have a story that's positive of change. And I want us to think about this in terms of maybe something that we have at some point been critical about, but then learned that our criticisms sometimes are right and wrong, but sometimes it's still a very good thing. And we tend to run down things often when we get frustrated or when bad things happen that there really isn't a better, a better response or a, a, you know, a better situation out there. Here's what I'm getting at. Uh, Remember Brittany Griner, WNBA star who went to Russia, got arrested at the Moscow airport because the authorities discovered vape canisters with cannabis oil in her luggage, which is illegal in Russia. And she was sentenced to nine years in basically a Russian prison labor, nine years for that. And she ultimately spent 10 months in Russian prison after she pled guilty to the drug charges. And then she returned to the United States in December after a prisoner exchange. We've talked about that sometimes on the show. And, you know, it, um, it was, it's, there's, controversy with that story okay there's the idea if we're trading for prisoners then they're just going to take more and russians just took a uh, washington post 
uh, reporter who they're charging him with being a spy. He says he's not a spy. He could be a spy. I don't know. But uh, we're saying he's definitely not a spy. He says he's not a spy. And this is like part of the story. But I want to focus on her because one of the things that whatever you think of her and her, her attitude or anything about her is that if you were her family or you were her friends, you were pretty glad to get her back. Right. And if you're Brittany Griner, you were very glad to come back. Well, she played her first game and she said this. She was she was somebody who was very critical of our country beforehand and didn't want to play the national anthem when we were going through a lot of those crises uh, during 2020 and things. And this is what she said. She said, hearing the national anthem, it definitely hit different, she said. It's like when you go for the Olympics, you're sitting there about to get gold put on your neck and the flags are going up and the anthem is playing. It just hits different. And I thought, you know what? We need to see this as something that is a good thing, right? Because our country, with all of its problems, with the sins of our our country, we have an ideal. Something that we, I think, have lost in a lot of the conversation is the ideals of our country. Life, liberty, and happiness. The fact that we've been given inalienable rights by our creator. We haven't lived up to that all the time. But that's the right goal. You know, that is something to shoot for. That is, in spite of our failures, you know, there is not another place still today. The reason we have an immigration problem is because of this being true. A lot of these people coming up over the border, they're coming from all over the world, not just uh, Central and uh, South America. And, you know, it's amazing to me how many people are coming from different parts of the world. Some people like the Afghan terrorist who got arrested in San Diego today. He's on the FBI wanted list and he came across. They got him, though, by fingerprint because he got processed. So there's some people, but most people are coming for a better life or they're escaping different things. We're still that country. And don't give up on it. And don't give up on the ideals. Point out where we fall short, but don't give up on the ideals and what we're heading for. It's part of what I think needs to happen in our country is a vision that's positive about where we want to go and not something that is about destroying everything for a country that doesn't exist, for an idea that no one can even articulate. When you get rid of the foundations of who we are, what we've learned, and how we became who we are, you know, if there's if you're going to destroy the foundation but you don't know what you're going to build on it, that's probably not going to turn out well at all. And I was thinking about this because some of us have given up on the church and we're highly critical of the church. And sometimes we've got good reason. And maybe we're critical of God. And maybe it's because God has disappointed us somehow. God didn't come through. You know, for some of us, uh, I think a lot of that is we we often don't have the right opinion of God, you know, the right understanding of God. Um, Sometimes we pray for something on Sunday after church, and then God hasn't answered our prayer on Friday, so we give up, right? There is a piece of us that when God disappoints us, we give up, but we, we don't understand who God is. We don't have a big enough God. We don't have what I would say is a God-sized God, a God who really is who he is. And sometimes we're disappointed at, at church, and maybe church has disappointed you, but remember something, that the ideal, the ideal is not to find a nonprofit corporation that calls itself a church uh, where people gather and to find the ideal church. You're not going to find the perfect church. You're not going to find the perfect group of people who gather under a roof somewhere, uh, under a set of bylaws and corporate, you know, it's going to have its flaws. And some do really well and some really struggle and all of them have flaws. I had a guy one time 
and uh, maybe you're listening, and I love you, but a couple came to, and I do, I think that you had a ministry, I won't tell you what it is, because I don't want to, but it was a really great ministry, but you struggled to find a church, this guy. And his wife and him came to my office, and they said, hey, we're, we want to uh, join your church. Actually, she said, he wants to join your church. I'm not going to join your church. And I said, why is that? And she said, nothing against your church, but he's in another church every six months, and I'm tired of it. I like where we go now. I'm going to stay there. I have friends there, and uh, I'm getting involved in ministry, and he can go wherever he wants, but I'm done with it. They've been married a long time, and that was kind of his routine. <clears throat> and he, in that meeting, was telling me that how great our church was, best church he's ever been to. I can't, and he actually said, I can't find anything wrong with it. Well, immediately, my brain is going, well, you haven't been here long enough. You know, there's stuff, you know. And immediately, I thought, well, this guy won't be here either for, you know, take him six months. I think it took him three before he figured out, uh, and I don't even know for sure what it was. And, you know, there's any number of things it could have been. You know, and he probably on to the next one. He'd been in multiple, like 20 churches over several years. And, you know, I think he's a guy who loves the Lord. I think he had a particular ministry that was, I think, great, something that he did uh, that I think helped people probably. I think God was using him, but he couldn't land in a body. And I think it's because he was looking for something perfect that doesn't exist. The, the perfection of the church is Jesus Christ, the actual Christ. And the church is not an address you go somewhere. It's the body of Christ. All of us listening, we, are, we go to different congregations and we have different styles and different backgrounds and different things, uh, different approaches to doing church. And a lot of that is great. I think that kind of diversity reaches a lot more people, right? Because some people are just going to connect differently in one place or another and hear the gospel, and that's great. But there's going to be problems, and there's going to be problem people, right? There's going to be people who are are sinners, and sometimes the world says, oh, church is full of hypocrites. Well, sometimes, but we're also full of sinners. Everybody falls short, including the pastor, including the elders, including the leaders. Now, their job is to not fall short so often as everybody else, right? And sometimes they do, but often they don't. But still, you're not going to find the perfect place. But don't give up on the church. Don't give up on the body of Christ. If you're not in a, in a, in a body of Christ, Pew Research came out with, you know, they do surveys of people's thinking about church. And there's still a lot of people who have not returned to church since the COVID shutdowns. Some people probably have left the faith, right? They didn't, they weren't really into church beforehand. And, and they're like, why would I go back? That's one thing. But then there's other people, I think a lot of us listening, who just got discouraged with our experience. And maybe we had multiple experiences that didn't go too well. Or maybe we just got discouraged with God. You know, some of us lost careers and lost loved ones during the COVID shutdowns and everything else. But I would encourage you to take another look. That if your discouragement is with God, then study who God is and what his plan is. Because his plan is not to make everybody happy in this life. His plan is to bring this world to a conclusion where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And the goal is that you will do that before that plan culminates, that you will do that before you die. And your job in the church is not just to show up on Sunday or Saturday night or Wednesday night or whatever day you go and participate in the things. That's good, but your goal is to make disciples. Your goal is to represent Christ to all the people in your life. They may not all like you because of that, and there might be disagreement, 
with who God is because they struggle with who God is. But your your goal is to represent Christ the best you can in humility, acknowledging that you're not perfect, that I'm not perfect. But give church another shot. You know, if you're disappointed with God, then get in your Bible and really figure out who God is. Because I think you, when you find out how much he loves you and how much he really cares and how big he is and how much bigger his plan is than whatever your plan is or my plan, you learn to worship, you learn to trust, you learn to follow Jesus, and you find out that you navigate life much better when you do that. And if you're a Christian and you know who God is and you're just disappointed with the body of Christ, the church life, you want find a place. Go back to where you came from, you know, if that's appropriate, or go some other place until you find a church body to be a part of. Because the church is not the address. The church is the body of Christ and it's the people. And you know what? Often the church is really good at taking care of each other. Often the church is really good at taking care of the sick. Often the church is really good at meeting the needs of people who are suffering. Often there are ministries that are meeting the needs of the poor and the oppressed and orphans and foster kids and widows. Sometimes that's not always front and center, and it should be, but often that's there even if it's not the first thing you see. It's going on. And I'll tell you what, one of the best ways to walk with Christ in the grow is to serve other people with other believers in whatever capacity you're gifted or, or passionate about. You know, there's something that you're passionate about that somebody else isn't. You know, you're, you're listening to this show or you're watching TV and you're maybe doing this with somebody else and you're going to respond stronger to certain subjects than that other person you're thinking of. That's fine. It doesn't mean that they're, that they're some kind of loser or something. It means that they have a different thing that they're going to respond respond strongly to. And I think God makes us that way, that there's certain things that we care about deeply and we can't all be the same or there'd be a whole lot of things ignored in expense for just one or two things going right. Point is, don't give up on the church if you've had hurt. Go back, find a church where you can serve people and where you can serve with people. That's the body of Christ. And, you know, give it a break and trust the Lord for who he really is, not who you've created him to be in your own mind. All right, I got to take a break. Actually, I got to take a long break. I'll be back tomorrow from three to five. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll see you tomorrow from three to five. Get the podcast, kkla.com or wherever you get your podcast. See you tomorrow. God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.